Hi, everybody. This is Andy O'Brien from AudioMotivation.com, and uh, it is my privilege and honor to uh, bring you Bob Berg today. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions and for entrepreneurial events. He's addressed audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing the platform with notables including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, political leaders, including a former United States president. Although for years he was best known for his book, Endless Referrals, over the past few years, it's his business parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the imagination of his readers. It shot to number six on the Wall Street Journal's business bestsellers list just three weeks after its release and reached number nine on Business Week. It's been translated into 21 languages, and it's his fourth book to sell over 250,000 copies. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He's a founding and current board member of Club 100, a charitable organization focused on helping underprivileged local area youth, lover of animals, and a past member of the board of directors of Safe Harbor, which is the Humane Society of Jupiter, Florida. Bob Berg, welcome to Audio Motivation. Andy, always great to be with you. How are you? I'm great. It's uh, it's been a long time since uh, since we've had John. It's probably about uh, several years. So yeah, back. Um, first of all, you know your your success with uh, with the Go Giver is just uh, phenomenal, and I, and I'd like if you don't mind just to kind of go over uh, uh, some of the components um, uh, of the book, and and because it's just it's just pure pure nectar. Uh, for uh, for both individuals and businesses. So, in, in, when we get into this, I mean, how does one actually communicate value to their prospects and customers, other than just explaining the benefits of their product or service? Because that's just a, a you know, it's part of your law number one, and, and I and I think it is a, a real critical component. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think that's a great question, uh, and it is. Uh, providing value is, is more than just the uh, intrinsic value of the product or service. It, it's also more than just, as, as you said, explaining and communicating that value. That's important, of course, but it's baseline. It's what anybody needs to do in order for a sale to, to happen. So it, it's got to be more than that. You know, it, it sort of goes back to the entire premise of, of the go-giver itself, which is, that shifting one's focus from from getting to giving. And in this case, when we talk about giving in this context, we're talking about constantly and consistently creating value for others, and that not only is that a, a nice way to live life, it's a very financially profitable way as well. And this goes back to your, your question, why is it profitable to be able to communicate that value? How do we do so? Well, you know, the... First, it's good to understand the difference between price and value because price, and I think we discussed this last time I was on with you, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of something to the end user or beholder. What is it about this this thing, that this product, service, concept, idea that brings with it so much worth that someone will exchange their money for it and be glad they did while you, the seller, make a profit. Uh, it would be the, uh, 
the accountant charging $1,000 to do your taxes, but saving you $5,000 and providing you with security and, and peace of mind. And so what what you get from that is well over the $1,000 you paid. You know, you received well over $5,000, uh, both in concrete and conceptual value, so you feel terrific about the transaction, while, of course, the accountant, uh, the accountant also made a very, very good profit. We understand that, that uh, money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder to values lightning, which means nothing more than that the value must come first and that the money is a direct and natural result of the value that's been provided. So, uh, you know, obviously you've got to put, you've got to communicate that there's more value uh, that the person's receiving than what they're 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 paying. But you know, everyone in your business is doing the same thing. If you sell a widget, if you sell a uh, you know accounting services, if you sell legal services, if you sell computers, if you sell graphic design or, or printing or what have you, everybody in the business has to communicate that. So the question is, how do you communicate it in such a way that they see you as being that additional value? And John David Mann, my, my excellent co-author, we uh, look at value and the communicating of value as, you know, there are thousands, probably thousands of ways to communicate this value. Uh the key is that it probably boils down into five <laughs> different areas that we call elements of value, and they are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that we can communicate these five to our our prospects and our customers, that's the degree that they know that doing business with us is something special. And because of that, it's not going to be a matter of who can sell at the lowest price. Selling on low price is a race to the bottom. Uh, nobody wins. <laughs> uh, it, I, I like to say that when you sell on low price, when you sell on price, you're a commodity. When you sell on value, you're a resource. And that's so key. And one of my favorite stories, if I can share this, is, is about a woman named Amy who decided to to step into her value. Do I have a couple minutes to share that? Absolutely. Well, Amy, uh, I met Amy at a uh, program I, I did where I was speaking in San Antonio. And I, I have gotten to know Amy since then, but, but I first heard from her about five months after this happened. Uh, while at the event, she really kind of uh, had an epiphany when hearing about this price and value and, and so forth. Uh, and she owns a a uh, wedding store, you know, a, a, a bridal uh, shop where they sell wedding dresses. And what Amy told me afterwards when I first heard from her was that in the bridal <coughs> industry or, or in the, the wedding dress industry, uh, typically the bride-to-be will come in with her mom, and the first thing they ask is what kind of discount can I get? Now, this surprised me because I would think that, you know, for something uh, of an occasion such as this, price wouldn't be the issue. It would simply be the product itself. But but no, really what it is, is as I've learned, is that the wedding industry has trained basically their prospects to shop on price, and that's what people do. Um, so anyway, Amy, at the end of the program, had decided that she was going to do something different. She was going to what she called, and I love this, 
walk in her value. From now on, instead of discounting the price of the dresses, she she and her team were going to sell on value. They were going to walk in her value in their value. So she called a team meeting. She let them know from now on they were only selling at at the regular price. They were not discounting. They were going to sell on value. And I, Andy, you know, you've taught many salespeople, and and you've been in this business for a long time. You know that they they were not real excited about that. <laughs> they were, you know, they were they were not looking at that as a good thing. They, they were used to discounting prices and trying to, you know, make that sale and and so forth. But Amy said, uh, no, I really believe in this. We have so much value to offer that we're not going to sell ourselves or our clients short. So uh, the first person came in, a, a, a you know, bride-to-be and her mom, and uh, Amy sent one of her team members to help them, and Amy's team member came back a few minutes later uh, with a worried look on her face, and she said, Amy, uh, the, the, the girl's mom is not very happy about this. She wants to talk to you. Now, as Amy says, uh, the girl's mom was very strong and forceful and very, you know, wanted what she wanted, and so Amy went over and asked how she could help. And the woman says, Amy, I'm not happy about this. I expected much more from you than this, meaning, you know, a lower price. And so Amy looked at her. Now, you got to understand about Amy. She is the sweetest, nicest. Again, as I said, I've gotten to know her since then. Uh, just the kindest human being in the world. Well, Amy looked at her and said, well, you expect more from me than this, and more from me than this you're going to receive. I am going to give you 19 years of my experience in this business. I am going to give you, and Amy named a couple other benefits that that Amy, because of her experience in the business and some of the connections she had and so forth, was able to to give her. And then she, she turned to the bride and began to primp the bride and then looked back at the mom and said, and mainly, I'm going to give you delivery of the perfect dress for the perfect day that your daughter has dreamed of her entire life. Well, the next day, the the, the bride-to-be called back and said, Amy, I'm so excited. My mama told me that not only am I to buy the dress from you, but rather than paying the 50% deposit that you asked for, I'm to write out a check in the full amount. Now, you know, Andy, uh, and again, I'm, uh, as I talk to you, I'm talking to a guy who's been teaching this for years, so you already know this. I think, really, that what happened was the mom felt better about paying the full price because she knew she was dealing with a professional on a very big day for her daughter, a professional who understood her own value and as such knew she was taking good care of her daughter. And she was more than willing to pay full value, full price for full value. And, you know, there's much more to this story, but this this woman became a, a, a personal walking ambassador for Amy, referring her to everyone. And you know that when these people came to buy a dress from Amy, they weren't looking for a discount. They'd already been taught that what they're going to get is great value, and they're going to pay the full price for it. Man. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a, that's a great uh, example of that. Um, of course, you know that that's one part of the process, and and so the other uh, big part here is uh, overcoming objections, which are really the the bane of every uh, salesperson's existence. And um, so, what do you suppose is the underlying cause of of objections? Really, I mean, uh, can, and and how do they can how can they get overcome like on a consistent basis? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question, Andy. And I think if we were to look at objections from a 10,000-foot view, what it comes down to would be that the uh, customer sees the costs involved. And again, when we say cost, it's not just price, but it could be time cost, it could be energy cost, it could be lost opportunity cost, it could be uh, confusion cost, it could be all these different you know, things. It, the cost as not being equal to the price they're being asked to pay. Uh, in other words, the price is here, and the cost is way up here. <laughs> and when that's the case, the person's not going to buy. Now, why do they have those objections? Well, you know, often, and, and you know, we all know that in sales there's typically two objections. There's the one they give you, and there's the real objection. Now, some people might say, well, isn't that the old, you know, buyers are liars. They tell you one thing, but they mean another. I'm not talking about that. Now, of course, there are some buyers who are, but, you know, there's always different types of people. And, but that's not who I'm talking I mean, there are some buyers who are going to lie. That's their way of controlling the situation, getting a better price, blah, 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 this or that. I'm not talking about them. Uh, I'm talking about the people who really don't even understand their own objection. Because they don't know, what it is, is there's something about it they're uncomfortable with, but they may not know exactly what it is. Because remember, they don't know the process as well as you do. They don't know the product or service. They don't know how it works. They don't know what to expect out. You know what I'm saying? And so, because they can't really, uh, they can't really communicate because they don't really know exactly what the problem is, they'll just say no, or they'll say the price is too high, or, what have you. So the question is, can you overcome an objection? Well, first, you know, we really we can't overcome objections. Why? Because when we try to overcome, that's another form of convincing. And what did Dale Carnegie teach us? <laughs> How to win friends and influence people. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. Uh, convince is, is from the Latin convinciere, which means to conquer. Does any prospect really want to be conquered? So, no, we can't overcome in objection, but then again, we're not looking to overcome an objection. We're not looking to defeat the person. We're looking to help the person. So what we can do is we can create the environment where that person really comes to understand their full objection, and we help them work through this objection in such a way that they understand that it best serves them uh, to buy, if that's the case where it really does. And let me give you an example. If it, can we walk through a you know, uh, a couple examples? Yeah, okay, let's suppose you're in real estate. You're talking with a potential buyer about a house you just showed her, and she seems to just absolutely love the home. And, and she all of a sudden springs on you, uh, well, I, I don't know, I think maybe the house is too far from town. And you say, well, actually, it's only 10 miles away, not really far at all. Well, we like to feel really close to where everything is. Not a problem. It's a 25-minute ride on a bad day. Without traffic, you can make it in 15. Mm, I don't know. I'm not sure. But you really like the home itself, right? Well, <laughs> you know, that's not communication. That's arm wrestling. And once you start, it's over. Because even if you win on logic, you're going to lose. Now, let's say we were to try this again, but this time here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to listen. <laughs> because we understand that in sales it's not about us. It's about the other person. It's about focusing on providing value to them. It's not about our commission. 
Our commission is simply the result of providing great value to the other person. So let's listen again, and let's listen with empathy. Uh, the, you know, the buyer says, well, I don't know. I think maybe the house is too far from town. Hmm, could be. Well, what are you thinking? Well, you know we love the home, but we'd like to feel really close to where everything is. Hmm, sounds like that's really important to you. So if I may ask, when you say where everything is, are there specific things you're thinking of? Well, yeah, I guess, with our, our little girl and maybe a couple more kids coming over the next few years, we want to make sure we always have access to whatever we need, whether it's something like shopping or going to the movies or, heaven forbid, if one of the kids hurts herself and we have to get her to the hospital fast. You know, Mark and I both grew up right in the city, and, and we're used to being just minutes from everything. So I guess to us, 10 miles seems like a lifetime away. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, let me make sure I understand this correctly. As much as you love the idea of living in this home, we need to balance that with your and Mark's comfort level as far as distance from town goes. Do I have that right? Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Well, you know, I'm wondering. There are some development plans underway right now just a couple miles from here. Uh, I understand there'll be stores, a movie theater, even a, a small emergency center. Now, I, I don't know if what's coming there will, will be enough to meet your family's needs, but would you be open to taking a look at it and seeing if we're in the ballpark? Now, see, by listening instead of debating, and just as importantly, communicating that you are listening, you've advanced the sales process. Why? Because you've conveyed to your buyer that your goal is to create value for her and not just make a sale. So rather than denying her perspective and trying to convince her right, <laughs> that her concerns aren't valid, which is what happened in that first example, you've honored her perspective. That, that's, really, that's the ultimate benefit of genuine listening and wanting to provide value. You honor the other person. You let them know that they're important and that you value them. And that's the bedrock of a great, you know, buyer-seller relationship. So when she said, you know, when she said, the house is too far from town, and, and you said, hmm, it could be, it, you know, it might be, what are you thinking? When you say it might be, you're not agreeing with her. You know, say, okay, well, let's just go on to something else, because that's not, that's not helping the person. No, what we need to, what you're doing is you're honoring her. You're saying, well, it might be, because you know what? Maybe it is. You don't know yet. You don't even know what, what the problem is. And so you ask, what are you thinking? And she says that they love the home, but they like to feel close to where everything is. Now, you know, Andy, that's helpful, but it doesn't tell the whole story. So we need to now help her bring that out a little bit more. So you say, you know, sounds like that's really important to you. Again, you're 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 honoring her. You're you're reiterating what you, what basically what she's just said. So now you say, when you say where everything is, uh, are there specific things you're thinking of? Well, now she's telling you. You know, she's got kids. Maybe got got a little kid. Maybe a couple more over the years. They want to make sure they're close to everything. They're afraid of emergencies. And then she tells you that her husband and she both grew up in the city. So to them, you know. They're used to being minutes away from everything. Ten miles seems like a lifetime away. Now, you may have grown up in the country where 200 miles, you know, is, is, is considered close. But we all, we all, you know, base truth on our own belief system. So until we know what's going on in that other person's mind, we just don't know. And it's only when we ask 
and we ask with true empathy, with a true caring about that other person and their needs, that we're in a position to be able to help them to help themselves. Does that make sense? Oh, what an elegant uh, description and process. Just, uh, man, everybody needs to do that. <laughs> so, Thank you. Beautiful, Bob. Thank you. Um, Okay, now let's, uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to dig a little deeper into the law of influence because sure. uh, it seems like there's a lot more than meets the eye with that. Yeah, you know, there there really is. And, uh, you know, the law of influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Uh, but first, there's, you know, that sounds counterproductive at best and perhaps downright Pollyanna-ish at worst. Uh, so the, the first thing I want to do is just qualify that by saying that when we say place other people's interests first, we're absolutely not talking about being a doormat you know, or, or, or being self-sacrificial or being a martyr in any way, shape, or form. It's just really understanding what influence really is. See, I, I, I like to ask my audiences uh, the question, how far can you push a rope? And, of course, the answer is not, not very, at least not very fast or, or very effectively. Uh, in fact, you don't hear, you know, this is why you don't hear people say, wow, that, that Andy, uh, he is so influential. He has a lot of push with people. No, it's Andy's very influential. He has a lot of pull with people because that's what influence is. It's, it's pull. It's, it's an attraction. Uh, now, on a, a, a very, very basic level, we can define influence as simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, uh, usually within the context of a specific goal. On a bit deeper level, we can say that influence is an unseen flow of power. And while both definitions are correct, I don't believe either one really captures its essence, which again is is pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people, both to themselves and to their ideas. And they do this, again, not through push, but through its opposite, which is pull. And this pull that we're discussing is really a very legitimate form of power. Power being the opposite of force. You see, force is control. It's manipulation, it's intimidation, it's compliance. It's often a function of what's called positional authority in, in leadership teaching. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually called positional leadership. In other words, the person has a title, uh, uh, you know, manager or department head or, or what have you, maybe even employer, and let's face it, even people with just positional authority can still compel certain people to do certain things. The uh, the employee knows if they want any chance of advancement, a promotion, a raise, uh, or the opposite, if they don't want to be punished or disciplined or fired, they need to do what they're told. But again, that's compliance. And the biggest challenge, Andy, with compliance is that usually, um, at best, the person or people will do exactly as they're told and not one bit more. Uh, at worst, they'll find a way to sabotage the process completely. And I think we've all experienced that all too uh, human 
tendency. <laughs> now, the opposite of compliance is commitment. Ah, see, when you have commitment, that's an entirely different story. And this commitment is practically always the result of the influencer understanding, uh, and more, most importantly, just as importantly, communicating that they understand what's in it for the other person. Uh, the great influencer embraces, and we'll bring up Dale Carnegie and you know his his famous admonition from from How to Win Friends and Influence People, where he said, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So the effective influencer constantly questions themselves: How does what I'm asking this person to do align with their goals, their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I'm asking this person, how does, how does what I want this other person to do, how does that align with their values? Um, you know, there's such a big difference. And, you know, you know this because, again, you, you teach these very things. There's such a huge difference between compliance and commitment. I love what, what my friend Dondi Scumachi uh, says about this. And Dondi speaks all over the world to, to huge companies and organizations and teams on leadership and influence. And I just, I love that she says, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Compliance will never take you where commitment can go. See, great influencers accomplish great things with others. And the greatest ones always know that when it comes right down to it, it's not about them. It's not about them. Now, this brings up the question, well, who is it about? Well, it's about everyone whose lives you choose to touch. It's about everyone whose lives you choose to add value to. And this could include anyone from family, friends, employees, employer, coworkers, team members, suppliers, prospects, customers, clients, what have you. It, it, it comes down to focusing on that other person. Now, it, this, this kind of brings us full circle to the law of influence where it says, again, your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. In the story, uh, in The Go-Giver, two of the mentors, uh, Ernesto and Sam, share with the protege, Joe, what they call the golden rule of business, of sales, if you will. And that is, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no more powerful, there's no faster, there's no more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you in others than by stepping out of yourself and making that shift, going from what, what John and I call an I-focus or a me-focus to an other-focus. Asking ourselves, how can we consistently provide value to them in a way that they see it as being of value. Man, that is just uh, phenomenal stuff, Bob. And I know, you know, we're just scratching the surface with the go-giver um, because uh, really, I mean, it should be on uh, everyone's desk within arm's length. Right? Oh, thank you. Thank so, you. Um, so, yeah, just uh, amazing stuff, Bob. I, I really appreciate uh, what you've done and, and uh, you know, you've been so generous with your uh, with your advice and, and your information that, uh, I mean, just listening, people just listening to this call, 
uh, I think have, uh, you know, if they apply your principles, even a fraction of them, I'm sure they're going to be uh, much more successful uh, out in the field. Or, oh, and, thank uh, you. Just uh, wonderful. So just uh, keep doing what you're doing, Bob. You're you're uh, an inspiration. Well, Andy, you are too. I appreciate what you've been doing for years, bringing us all all great information. So thank you. Keep it. I was going to say, keep up the great work yourself. Well, uh, it's it's uh, my pleasure, and uh, uh, let's uh, let's definitely uh, hook up again and at another time because uh, you have uh, wonderful uh, material, and I wish you all the best in the new year. Well, thank you. You too. Have a terrific and tremendous uh, 2013. Thanks, Bob. All right. Bye bye.